Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host. Today, we're going to be talking about customer lifetime value. You know, in so many ways, 2020 was the year of new customer acquisition, of huge growth for e-commerce brands. And now that all of those customers have found their way to these stores and, and to these merchants, now it's about keeping them engaged and getting them to continue to shop, even perhaps once they can go back to more in-person shopping or just in, in general, because they've found a healthy relationship uh, they found a, a great place to shop, and they're pulled in a lot of directions. And so uh, I've brought a guest uh, that I, I think can really uh, do a great job of speaking to this topic. Uh, we have Fiona with us today uh, from the Loyalty Lion team. And with no further ado, Fiona, would you do the honor of introducing yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So thanks very much, Robert, for having me here today. Um, I'm Fiona, Head of Marketing at Loyalty Line. We're a data-driven loyalty and engagement platform, helping e-commerce brands use loyalty data and insights to power their marketing efforts as a whole. Um, I've been with the company around three years, but I've been working in retail and e-commerce marketing for about 10 years and specializing in loyalty for the past five. So hopefully I'm starting to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, you know, e-commerce is a trial by fire industry that there aren't a ton of great courses or, you know, programs out there that'll teach you everything you need to know, partly because it changes so fast. So uh, I, I, it sounds like you've got uh, just the right amount of expertise as much as anyone really can have uh, in the industry. So let's start off with, I, I already threw some spoilers out there as I described the episode, but how would you from your own perspective, uh, describe what changed in the e-commerce world in the last year or so. Uh, what is it that, that you think is really imperative for merchants to understand? I think a lot changed, to be honest. I mean, a lot changed for everybody, but particularly in e-commerce. And it's it's been a very interesting space to occupy over the past 12 months. Well, more than 12 months now, because obviously for some people it's boomed, for some people the opposite has been true and um, it hasn't been successful for everybody. But at the end of the day, the number of brands coming out. So we're in the age of Shopify, Big Commerce, Magento, where people can build their own stores. They can sell on Amazon. They can sell on Etsy. They can sell on a million marketplaces. E-commerce has become so accessible and everybody is turning their hand to it. But that means as a brand, you've got so much competition all of a sudden. And exactly as you said before, on the flip side of that, there are more shoppers. Everybody that didn't shop online before now shops online, either because they can't go physically to the shops because the shops aren't open or because actually they've just learned some new behaviors. And I think brands have seen those influxes of new customers, but now they need to find ways to retain them. You don't want to, you're never going to be able to acquire the same volume of customers as you did in 2020 with one campaign or anything like that. If you're someone like a active wear brand, for example, where nobody wore active brands, um, active wear during the day, and now everybody wears it 24 hours a day. You know, that's a huge number of new customers you've got. You won't replicate that next year, for yeah, example. But, but don't tell my coworkers that, you know, that's, that's between us, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Nobody sees what trousers you're wearing on Zoom anyway. But um, yeah, I think people need to find ways to retain those new customers that they did get and make sure that they weren't just one hit wonders. 
And I think actually the way people are shopping today is different as well. That has changed. It was already changing, but it's been accelerated. And price is not the be all and end all for a shopper anymore. It's now we've got a bit more time to shop around. We've got more choice. And we want to know that the people we're shopping with align with what we believe in or align with our values or share our passions. I think people are making much more informed choices based on their own personal belief systems than they were before. So price is it's not the most important thing anymore. Well, and I'll add to that that, you know, as a shopper, there was a time when <laughs> if you got to an e-commerce website, there I mean early on there was some novelty to it, but as you went, it took investment to really build an e-commerce site that was respectable. And so there was some leap of faith that it was almost like, you know, if this business could op- you know, pay the rent and open this nice looking store in the mall, they're probably all right, that they've got some things going for them. Now, you know, you get uh, all these businesses spinning up, you know, $29 a month websites, and you don't know very much about them. You don't have a relationship with them. You don't know the brand very well, if, if at all. Uh, it's the same problem that I remember when I first got into digital marketing. We used to change some tags, add some content, build a few backlinks, and SEO rankings were on page one and life was good. <laughs> you <laughs> know, and, it was still that easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was particular. It was so easy that we had a model uh, in my early agency days of charging a 50% deposit and 50% when page one rankings appeared. And, you know, for a certain, you know, a certain number of keywords, certain, certain specific keywords, things like that. Uh, and uh, people weren't ready with the second half of the money. <laughs> it was, like, whoa, that was fast. You know, they thought that they'd have a month or two or something. And, you know, three weeks later, we're letting them, hey, you know, we've we've achieved the results you were expecting. Uh, now it goes into maintenance mode, but, uh, or, you know, we'll keep going after some more keywords, but there's, you know, payment number two or three or whatever is, is going to come due uh, that we yeah. hit a milestone. And, I, you know, today that's not how it works. Uh, you know, even things like running Google ads that there's so much competition in some cases for the clicks it's an auction system. It's a bid system. You're going up against others. I think that those sorts of things, certainly it makes it a little bit harder, maybe more than a little bit for new entrants. But thinking about the businesses that are more established, that they have a working budget, that they can engineer their way past just being the same as everyone else and being the most basic, that you know, that's where I, I see a lot of the challenge today. It's, you know, we've got Amazon on, on the right and we've got a million, you know, tiny websites on the left. And how do we continue to thrive in the middle? Uh, yeah. Yes. And honestly, I find it really interesting as a shopper myself. I find it absolutely fascinating the different experiences you get from different things. So as you said, you know, traditionally you would trust the brand that you knew because you'd seen their shiny shop front. Well, I'm in a situation at the moment where I've bought from two brands recently. One is a, I won't name names, but long established brand that everybody will know the name of. One is a a mom and pop, you know, just getting started. I, the, the communication from the smaller store has been fantastic. You know, uh, they've told me exactly which staff member is personally embroidering my jumper. They've told me that it won't be with me as soon as they hoped because of Brexit. They've told me this, they've told me that. But they're really keeping in touch. The other brand, which promised seven-day delivery, it's been 21 days and I've heard nothing 
from them and I've chased them and I've heard nothing from their support team at all. So, you know, you can be the oldest in the business, but it, that customer experience from the smaller guys is often a lot better at the moment. Yeah. I, and imagine, I just want to imagine sitting in a restaurant right now, but imagine being in a restaurant and, you know, you've been sitting there for two hours and your food hasn't arrived and no one's come to talk to you. <laughs> you I, I, do I don't know if I would still be sitting there personally, but sometimes just that human touch, it's, it's those extra little bits that it's not always about, you know, very, very extensive technology, even <laughs> no. good processes. Uh, <laughs> no, that, that's great to hear. And, and I do see more and more of these up and coming SMBs really breaking through. And, uh, and that's heartening because what you don't want is a situation where Amazon, Walmart, Target, whomever else, right? You know, all, all these, these big players just own the market and, uh, and it stifles new innovation and new competition. And uh, so thinking about that, you know, I know that you come from the loyalty uh, world in recent years and, you know, reward programs and things of that nature. I usually think of a lot of that as automation, as, you know, you, you set up the program and then it's just there. Um, and, you know, people get their points, people, uh, you know, re redeem their points, things of that nature. What actually, you know, have you seen bringing in the human touch through the loyalty channel? Um, it, it, are there things that really help to elevate that above and beyond just, you know, the basic feature set, the basic plugin that, you know, that, that just, you know, d does the the baseline uh, minimum <laughs> in terms of having a being able to check the box and say, yeah, well, we have a program. Absolutely, there is. Yeah. And it's a topic quite close to my heart, actually, because I I genuinely believe that a loyalty program can be a great way to get closer to your customers in quite a real and an authentic way. Um, so I really love seeing brands using their loyalty programs to support and tell their brand story, for example. So a couple of examples, we have um, a big beauty brand who are all about sustainability. So they've built into their loyalty program. One of the ways that you can earn points is by recycling their packaging. So send off an old mascara um, uh, wand or the bottle, and I don't know what you call mascara, um, and you would get 100 points in return. We also have um, a pet food brand. If you you can redeem your points in return for a charitable donation to a donation to a dog shelter, for example. So you know they're really using their program and, and customizing it in a way that tells their customers who they are and connects with the things that they're passionate about. And I think. I also love to see brands creating communities of people who care about the same things. So we saw a lot of that in the pandemic. Obviously, people couldn't go into stores. So they started creating online communities full of content that really connected with customers on the things that they're passionate about. And I think um, the other thing I'd say on the human touch is connecting your loyalty program with your help desk. So if you've got customer support people who are talking directly to your customers, give them access to the loyalty data so that they can see how valuable these customers are, how many times have they shopped, and you know they can actually award them points in that scenario to sweeten a slightly sour situation. You know, If you can connect your customer support and your loyalty program, then I don't think you can bring a more personal touch to it, really. Yeah, you know, you leave someone on hold for a half hour, there's nothing like throwing them some loyalty points to try to say, we're sorry, <laughs> please keep yeah, shopping I mean, with us. Uh, yeah, you, you matter to us, you count. Yeah, I mean, maybe try to keep it 
less than half an hour in the I, first I place. But, but certainly, yeah, it, it's a good way of showing people that you value them. Yeah. And is that particularly difficult integrating with, you know, modern help desks, things like that? Or it, does that come down to some of the partnerships and like pre-built integrations? Um, it could do, yeah. So, for example, we we integrate with uh, gorgeous Reamaze and Zendesk um, as examples, but um, you should be able to connect things up by API as well. I would have thought. Interesting. So, you know that I'll have to remember next time I've got a customer service issue to ask if they can give me some points, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the more you know. I, I, it's funny, but I can recall having issues with airlines. Um, way back when. And I don't know, a long time ago, I thought I was smart. And I said, you know, like, I, you don't, I don't need a voucher. Like, I don't know when I'm going to fly again, if I'll remember to use, can you just kick me some points? And they couldn't do it. Um, and I tried this a few mm. times, but the customer service reps really weren't empowered to provide points. They would have to give you some kind of a voucher that was non-transferable, that could only be used in this way and that way by this date and that. And you know, sounds and, familiar. Yeah, yeah. They couldn't <laughs> give it to you on the spot. They had to mail it to you sometimes, and you'd hope that you'd get it, and you know, all, all sorts of things. Just like, no, just put the points in my account, right, right here, right now, and I'll, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that uh, that stands out for me. Um, how about creating customer tiers? Have you seen that really engaging from a, a loyalty program perspective, where maybe? You know, they're they're new shoppers that just get their regular points and regular redemptions. But um, kind of like when you go through, I'll say, American Express, if you're, you know, if you have the green card, the gold card or the platinum card or or the black or whatever, black your, one, your points are worth more. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know that uh, I, I know a lot of programs that, that have uh, come about like that. Does that align with the e-commerce market? thousand percent it does yeah we strongly encourage people to integrate tiers into their programs because we know from research that we've done that customers love the feeling that they're working towards something you know you love that aspirational feeling that you're building something up and that you're part of an you're part of an exclusive tier you're getting things that other people aren't you know and also you're getting the more you spend with the brand you want to know you're getting more in return so it's a great way of sort of communicating that value exchange but I think it, the tiers actually also give you the opportunity as a merchant to explore more exclusive experiential type rewards. So a lot of our customers, as you move up their tiers, you get more VIP experiences, the things like early access to sales or um, the opportunity to join a product tester panel, those kinds of things. And those are things that actually cost you very little as a business, but they provide enormous value to your most valuable customers in return. And I think those kinds of things, that experiential approach ties in really well with tiers where you're trying to create that feeling of aspiration. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, I tie a lot of it back to gamification, of course, that it there is, are a lot yeah. of people that, that respond very, very well to that. So, uh, Yeah, and you know, we've got some, the Chive, uh, one of our customers, they have an actual leaderboard on, live on their website. You can see yourself creep up the leaderboard if you um, submit a photo review or something like that. You can literally see your movement in the in the loyalty tier. Wow. All right. That's a new one for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. I don't know what exactly what they sell, but I'm going to avoid it because I'll be trying to get myself up that leaderboard. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it sounds like you've seen some pretty interesting um, campaigns going on. Uh, you know, I've asked some pointed questions. 
are there other campaigns that you think are, are worth mentioning? Others that are doing this really well? You know, do strategies like gifting points to shoppers in order to re-engage them? Hey, we so you haven't shopped in a while. Here's some points. You know, come on back and check out our new stuff. We, we want you to. We want to make it easier than ever for you to come back and uh, and shop with us. Yeah, hundred percent. I think. Um gifting points in particular scenarios can be incredibly powerful. So for example, if you take the time to figure out who's at risk, who who is going to churn in the next X number of days if we don't get them back, you know, you can separate those people out and then you can send them, as you say, surprise and delight them with some additional points, which means that they will come back and make that next purchase. Um, but I think it's also, it's less about perhaps gifting points and more about providing people with more opportunities to earn them that aren't purchases. So what you want to be doing is engaging with your customers in between the times when they shop and giving them points for other things like social shares or social social likes and follows, um, leaving reviews, creating an account with you. There's loads of different positive activities that you can reward that sort of mean you're getting something in return for those extra points that you're gifting. And I think the other thing is to look at it as an alternative to discounting. So say, for example, uh, I'm trying to think what the American equivalent of that is. Your fall's coming up. People are going to be going back to school, back to college. You know, you think, great, I'll do a back to school 20% discount store-wide. Um, that's quite costly for you. But if you flipped it on its head and said, hey, I'll do a, a back to school double points day. So anything you buy on that day, you'll earn double the points, double the loads of points that you would have. In terms of marketing that promotion, you do it exactly the same way. You still put a banner on your site. You promote it on your social channels and you it's exactly the same thing. It's just instead of discounting that sale, you're giving someone an opportunity to earn loads more points that's going to bring them back to make their next purchase far sooner. So I think there's some really clever ways that you can be giving points away, but in a way that is going to bring someone back for a longer term next purchase than yeah. just sort of getting them back through the door that one time. That makes sense. Well, you know, all about building the relationship. So you know, and thinking about that, I know that I've been really annoyed when I've had points expire. It's happened to me <laughs> with hotels, airlines, uh, you know, car rental companies, all sorts of travel companies for sure. But I've had it happen with, with others as well uh, in, in the e-com space and such. And, you know, in, to some extent, when you get good reminders, maybe it draws you back in. But just like with a hotel, if I don't need it right then, if if I don't have a purpose there, uh, you know, to to you know be in one of your hotels, you know, I I hate to see this stuff go. Uh, you know, it feels like you had something and you lost it. It was taken yeah. away. Have you seen uh, circumstances where a loyalty program, in some ways, can do harm to consumer sentiment and to those relationships because people are frustrated in some way, or maybe? You know, I, I've certainly seen it where points were worth one thing and now they've been devalued. And so, you know, you yeah. worked hard to earn them. And now, you know, when you go to redeem them, they're not worth what you're what you expect, what you had really earned and uh, yeah. in relative terms, you know, because life is all about managing expectations. Right. And so yeah. when your expectations are shattered. <laughs> oh, never it's, healthy. It's, yeah, it, that's it's all about communication. I think there's two separate problems there. I think. Changing the value of points, it happens. We've seen it happen with some of the biggest loyalty programs in the UK. Um, 
sometimes things change, but the way you communicate it to your customers is absolutely essential. And they need to be really clear on, okay, things have changed, but I'm still going to get this value. You know, there's there's very sensitive ways of doing it, which not I've not seen many big brands doing well over the years. Um, but I think the expiry point is very interesting. Um, a loyalty program is not for every brand. It won't work if you don't have a high repeat just high repeat purchase rate or a very repeatable product. And you you could say that yes, a hotel is that, but you'd have to dig into that customer's one data and say, well, how often have they booked? If they've booked once in three years, mm-hmm. hotels and travel probably aren't their thing. So they're not the yeah. prime candidate for your loyalty program. They're not one of your most loyal customers or valuable customers anyway. So should you be spending the time and effort on re-engaging them? Probably not. So, you know, I'd put it to you that if if you've got customers whose points are expiring reg- regularly, they're not that engaged and they may not be that valuable to you anyway. But I think it's probably a case of they're not clear on the value exchange. They haven't, either, it's either not clear to them how to use their points or they're not understanding why it would be worth their while to use them. Yeah. So I, I think- I, I think from my perspective, one of the problems that uh, that I've found with it is Maybe I was loyal to the brand, but I did some bookings through a third party and they didn't count. Uh, or yeah. in the case of e-commerce, maybe I wound up making a purchase in store somewhere else from the brand, you know, because it was convenient. It was on the shelf somewhere. And now the points that I had accruing, you know, online are, are going to get wiped out. I'm still loyal mm. to the brand. It still has a little bit of a, a sting to it. Um, I, I think that's some of the, the challenge yeah. from the brand perspective. Yeah, and connecting those dots can be really difficult. And I, you know, I don't think we're there yet as an industry on being able to do that omni-channel piece really, really well. But um, yeah, I think it's about making. I mean, it, obviously, you, you want to encourage customers to shop from you and you alone as much as possible, and try and avoid those third parties. But you know, I'm a, I'm terrible for that. I'll book something on Booking.com and then think, oh, I should have done that. I should have done, you know. But um, I, I think it's about. It, <laughs> Knowing who's really valuable to you, and, and that can be not just purchases, that can be, are they opening your emails? Are they referring, have they used the referral link you gave them? Have they left you a review? You know, value comes in many different guises. But I think it's about you know, preventing that expiry from becoming a problem. And that could be, as we said, segment the people that are close to that expiry date and then surprise and delight them with something that means they come back and they've got no, it's easier with e-commerce than travel, but, you yeah. know, give them no choice but to want to spend it, you know, or prompt them with some kind of surprise and delight, like, you know, come and use your points before this date and we'll bump you up into that next tier and you'll get these exclusive benefits. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's really important to structure your program in a way that means customers can see the value they're going to get without having to work too hard. And if you're consistently getting customers too close to that expiry date, there's more likely a problem with your setup. Yeah. You know, in some ways, I've at one point thought about it like uh, taxes where tax rates go up and down. (laughs) And so there are people that are really sensitive to that, that they want to, you know, pay whatever it is at today's tax rate because they're afraid it's going to be more later, which is reasonable in in a lot of situations. Uh, But I've seen myself rush to use points because I'm afraid of, you know, that they're going to (laughs) devalue that, Mm. um, that they're not a good investment with some brands. Uh, because there there are too many changes to the programs. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think we see that too much in in, in e-com, e-com quite as much. Yeah, yeah, it's a because people tend people operating loads of programs successfully tend to be in that really 
you know, people are buying often. It's either replenishing your, I don't know, your razor blades or your uh, vitamin B tablets, or, you know, it's the kind of products that people buy repeatedly um, that this works best for. So I, I don't think you have quite the same problem in the e-commerce space. Yeah. And like I say, it's just communication. You can change things around, but you've got to make it A, clear to your customers why you're doing it and B, clear that they're not going to suffer for it. Yeah. And speaking about clarity, I know that some programs the math is a bit of a challenge. So <laughs> it's not, you know, one penny equals one point on on the earnings and on the redemption, but that they have some other schemes involved. And, uh, you know, sometimes it can be difficult to even understand what you're really earning or, or how you're really going to be spending those points. Have you seen this done both well and poorly? Is there, are there still people out there that are overcomplicating the point structure? Uh, this is one of my biggest bugbears, actually. Um, I'll try not to get too heated, but it does not have to be that complicated. And we have a legacy problem in this space that we've inherited from big brands who started loyalty programs in the first place. So um, in the UK, it would be people like the Nectar program, the Boots Advantage card. To be honest, all the the airlines, British Airways, Avios, all that stuff. They yeah, made loads the of programs. And the credit card companies, you know. And the, the credit card companies. Yeah. Exactly. They made loads of programs feel like that you don't get, it's too complicated to use it for a start. When you do use it, you don't get enough in return. And it leaves you feeling the opposite of a valued customer over time. So I think this is it's very much a legacy problem that has harmed loyalty program engagement. And we're still working really hard to make people realize that actually these e-commerce stores. You will, it is worth you taking the time to create an account. It is worth you collecting points because you will get something in return. So I think, um, yeah, the, the really, it's important to keep it as simple as you can, but also to communicate it really clearly. So a lot of our merchants have FAQ style pages as part of their loads program that makes it really obvious. You know, you spend this, you'll get this in return. And I think as well, as we're seeing people move towards these experience-based rewards, the value, the points to pounds or points to dollars ratio becomes slightly less important anyway, because they're seeing that they're getting values in other ways. But I think in some ways, it's less about the actual value of a pound or a dollar in terms of a point. And it's more about how's it, how long is it going to take someone to build up enough points to claim a reward, a good reward that's actually going to be worth their time. If that's too long, then you've got a problem with your program. You want it to be, you know, the first time someone engages, they need to be able to earn enough points almost that they could get a reward almost straight away and come back the second time. Then you can start spacing it out a bit more. But um, yeah, I think and, that's and absolutely that would be things like giving them those opportunities, get points to, to, for subscribing to social media, get yeah. points for subscribing to the newsletter, for creating an account mm. instead of just shopping as a guest, things, things yeah. like that, maybe for leaving a review. So if they add it up with their purchase, maybe, you know, they, as a new customer, as a welcome, something like that. Exactly. And, you know, then they've almost got enough to, to get some money off their next, their second purchase already. And all of the actions that they're taking will benefit you in the long run. If they create an account, sure. yes, you give them 200 points, but you can then market to them. You can keep, keep contacting them. If they follow you on social media, yes, you've got to give them 200 points, but you can reach them with all of your marketing messaging, all of your promotions, all of your great user-generated content that's going onto your social channels. You know, um, each of those activities is actually going to benefit your marketing long-term. So. That makes sense. And, you know, 
I know that like, earlier in the episode, we described giving users, instead of 20% off the whole store for the full sale, um, giving them points instead. Do you see merchants that do a good job of offering points, let's say bonus points or extra points for specific purchases because there are things that they want to close out or specific merchandise that, that they're incentivized to move? Uh, where they vary the program a little bit more um, without, again, without overcomplicating, but uh, but they u- really use it as more of the strategy that, you know, the emails go out, hey, double points on these categories, uh, th- you know, this week only, things like that, where it is more strategic about what they really want to sell, where their margins are stronger, or some other, you know, where they think that it's a teaser product and, uh, you know, people, even if it's a loss leader, People aren't going to buy that without buying five other things anyway. (laughs) Mm. I'd I'd actually love to see more of that. And I think it's a symptom of the fact that large programs often sit in silos or sit, um, they're a bit more isolated. I mean, it's, they should be connected to every facet. So someone in the merchandising team should know that they're struggling to shift some stock. Okay, let's talk to the loyalty guys, connect it up, connect the dots and hey, we can shift that stuff will, as you say, offer additional points on it or will use it as maybe, you know, if you've got stuff that you literally can't give away, you could be using that as um, free product rewards, things like that. There's um, there's absolutely ways to do it. And I think double points on particular products that you're trying to either shift, like perhaps get rid of, but also perhaps just promote, you know, they haven't um, haven't had their time in the sun and you want to get, get them out them more. Um, yeah, offer extra points on them. But I, we don't see it happening often enough, which I suspect means that there are other teams out there who deal with the products that aren't connected to the marketing yeah. side and the loyalty so side. There's someone in merchandising or, you know, there's someone in the team that knows that if we could just get more people to try this new product, they'd order it again month after month and that mm. this should be part of the strategy. But uh, especially for the loyalty program, for your best shoppers uh, yeah. that you know come back, Get them to add this to the card each time. You know, they just need to try it once and they'll be hooked. Mm. That, you know, I, I'm with you there that I haven't seen quite enough of that. And I've almost been surprised that, uh, <laughs> that that hasn't become a little bit more prevalent than it is. Yeah. And, you know, speaking about some of the messaging, I noticed on your site, you, you, we talked about integrations with uh, some of the ticketing systems and help desks. Uh, but I noticed integrations with a lot of the major email marketing platforms, um, Clavio, Omnisend, uh, Dot Digital. You know, I, I imagine that you know your your team, from an engineering standpoint, is perfectly capable of sending out emails. Uh, why d- has your team focused on integration with these third parties? Is it? Because that's a way to get these marketers to actually be able to to pull these pieces together. I think it's partly that. It's a few things. First of all, um, we know that people want personalized emails now. Nobody wants to see a stock standard marketing message. And if you can integrate loyalty data into your emails, that's what you get, completely personalized message. No one else has the same points balance as you. No one else has the same um, reward available at the same time as you do. That's completely unique to you as a shopper. So um, if you can integrate that kind of loyalty data into your email strategy, your open rates, your click-through rates, everything's going to increase. So it's really about using your loyalty program to add more power to the email marketing that you're already doing. And then in, in terms of 
it, it just with the integration, something like Clavio, where you have different events and different things that trigger behaviors. Again, if you can tie that into your loyalty program, for example, if somebody um, if somebody purchases, you can have a loyalty email triggered X number of hours, minutes, days later that says, hey, you can earn this many points if you come back and leave a review. Or if you come back and make a referral, you know, it's those triggers are already set up in Clavio, but you could be using them to power your loyalty and vice versa as well. So it's really, it's more about adding, bringing things, consolidating things, bringing your strategies together and using loyalty insights and loyalty data to make them more powerful. That, that certainly makes sense. Uh, you know, for me, I, I published an article on the JetRails blog recently talking about where to host your, your emails. And there's transactional mm -hmm. emails and there's marketing emails and, uh, and, and there's corporate emails and there, there's different things. And as an e-commerce brand, you've got to be thinking about all of it and there should be a strategy behind it. And in a lot of cases, things like transactional emails that can be very blasé when you pull them into a system that allows for personalization and better tracking and other things that you've got more tools at, at your disposal to delight customers and, and to really go above and beyond, there's a benefit. Uh, mm. So I haven't, I, I didn't probably touch very much on loyalty and rewards as part of that, but, uh, but absolutely, you know, that, that all of those key integrations um, become important. And if, if I didn't before, now I've got another one in my head. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it's the automation piece as well. You know, that's, again, it's a loads program shouldn't be an extra thing on your to-do list that you're worrying about. It should be something that's connected with all of your marketing. So if you have, if you can set them, these loyalty emails up as automated things that are triggered by other things, then, you know, you're, you're in a much more powerful place than if you're just trying to run several different activities separately. Yeah. And, you know, the other category that I saw on your site had to do with subscriptions. And obviously, as a merchant, there's nothing better than getting someone into uh, an automatically renewing, uh, you know, subscription for product. Um, you know, having those recurring payments coming in is lovely. Uh, <laughs> is, is that something that you've, that we're just scratching the surface at? Or a lot of brands doing a good job of particularly promoting that through their reward programs? Are there challenges around it? You know, how do you uh, how do you look at that from your vantage point? I think the first thing I'd say is don't be fooled. A subscriber is not necessarily a loyal customer at all. So I can't remember the exact stats, but it's something people have up to seven subscriptions. Um, and they, if you think about it, it's the first thing that goes when you want to cut back. You look at all the subscriptions you have and you take out the gym club or you take out you probably keep Netflix, but you might take out Disney Plus. You know, it's the first thing to go. Um, and also, people are too distracted by special offers. So again, say you have Gusto and HelloFresh, both um, meal delivery things. People literally, and I know because I do it myself and I know many other people do too, they bounce between the two because they get 20% off three boxes over here. Then two months later, they see 20% off three boxes with the other provider. So they switch to them and they, can, they go backwards and forwards between people who are offering the same things, but whoever's got the best special offer. So you may have a subscriber, but unless you've got them signed into a year-long contract, you do not necessarily have their loyalty. That's a different thing. So I think um, you really have to work hard to, to retain those subscribers. And one of the ways we've seen people do that really well 
is with something called a subscriber tier. So again, it just takes the, the tier system that we talked about earlier, but make sure that if you're a subscriber, you get access to a whole different set of benefits that feel really exclusive that no one else can get. And you're getting that at no additional cost to yourself just through staying subscribed. And the benefit there, you know, essentially someone could send you an amazing special offer, but you'd say, okay, but I'm going to stay here because A, switching is a pain. It's admin. B, you're offering me a discount, but over here I'm getting all of these extra things that make actually this much more appealing than any discount you can offer me. Mm-hmm. So I think that use of subscriber tiers is playing a big, big part in retention. But uh, yeah, subscriber doesn't equal loyal customer, unfortunately. Now, here's the, the million pound question. Uh, <laughs> can they use the reward points toward their active subscription or do they have to purchase something else with those points that they've been accruing? Uh, or, you know, uh, how does that, because I imagine that, if, you know, if you're on subscription, you're building up points and you're not logging in, you're not clicking anything to apply those points to anything. Now, what do you do with them? Is that uh, potentially a challenge for some of those brands and some of those shoppers? And to be honest, it can be, it's up to you how you set up your program. So everyone will be a little bit different. But as we see many people, um, you, know, you can put your points towards a recurring subscription and you can reuse them uh, for the same. Interesting. Uh, same, so you might just have to log in and clarify that on next month's order, please use you know these points that have accrued. Yeah, I imagine with some of the integrations, that might even be automatic. I'm not entirely. Um, again, it depends how you're set up. But, okay, well, but certainly, it's, yeah, it's not if about... If it's not, your product team has a request in now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they no, might ask us to cut that bit before someone asks. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's certainly about... Um, it's not about getting subscribers. I mean, obviously, if you've got subscribers and they want to make additional purchases, even better, that's a great, yeah. greater place to be in. And yes, you do want to encourage that, but you also don't want to annoy your subscribers by them building up an enormous points balance they can't use. So there's there's a middle ground there. Yeah, and we, you know, and I mean, to me, that goes back to the, my points are going to expire I, or they're not worth what I thought they were when it's too hard to use them. Uh, that certainly can become a challenge. And mm. we touched on barely the, the topic of omni-channel, and I definitely wanted to swing back around to it, um, especially given the year that we just had, um, <laughs> where you know people have been shopping m- in a more omni-channel fashion than a lot of them are used to, buy online, pick up in-store, curbside, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, a, a lot of movement there, people that were shopping in-store, might still or might return to it, but they're shopping online more frequently than than they were, or you know, just in general, they are for the first time, uh, you know, in, in the past year or so, and and they've continued to do so. What are, from your perspective, some of the the bigger challenges there? Is it that some of these stores have in house loyalty programs that don't really mesh with the the online programs? That they almost have two different teams running two different programs? Is it? you know, that they're using legacy point of sale that can't support any loyalty program. I imagine it's probably a little bit of, uh, you know, column A, column B, and maybe if just a few other columns, but <laughs> just how, a few. yeah, how, how is omni-channel fitting in? Because I would think that there's been a lot of growth in e-com, uh, specifically for some of these established brands that might've already had some loyalty or, or that 
uh, or whose customers are going to expect the loyalty programs to work in store and online? So it's a really good question. It is. It depends. I mean, there's a lot of bigger businesses who have failed to do this well, and um, because, as you say, their POS doesn't work the way they need it to these days, and things like that. And um, I think it's extremely important in terms of loyalty to be providing that omni-channel experience. A customer needs to know that they'd be able to either earn or use their points wherever they're shopping, whether it's online, in-store. Um, and the easiest way to do that is via your POS, you know, whether it's native integration like Shopify or it's an API, you know, the two need to talk to each other so that as customer A, I've just when I walk into the shop and I say I'm customer A, I can use my points that I've collected. You know, that's as shoppers, you should be able to expect that. It's important that, that people deliver that. I think what's been really interesting about COVID is actually watching people go the other way. So obviously everybody had to go online really quickly, but people actually started replicating their in-store experiences online really fast. So one of our clients, Wear Lively, they're an underwear brand, and they started doing virtual fittings and virtual styling sessions online for their most valuable customers during the pandemic. And I just thought, amen, that's what e-commerce should have been doing all of this time is finding ways to replicate. I mean, it's, it's what we do with product descriptions. You know, that's essentially a in-store assistant telling you about the product. Um, you know, reviews, that's essentially walking into the shop and being able to touch and feel the product. There's so many things that we do replicate in-store, um, online, sorry, from in-store. Um, and it was interesting to see people pick up some of the other things with the pandemic and try and move them online. But yeah, it's going to be fascinating over the next few months to make that transition effectively. Interesting. You know, we've touched on a few ways that some of these programs can uh, not work out as intended, that someone goes with, with best of intentions and launches some kind of a loyalty program. I know that there are platforms that have some very basic features caked in, like um, Magento Commerce has a, has a reward point system built in. Uh, are there any, at least any that we haven't touched on, any common themes that you've seen in programs that aren't an overwhelming success where someone feels like either, you know, they didn't do it well or it wasn't a good match. I mean, I imagine that there are categories where, as we've hit on it, if there aren't going to be frequent enough purchases, I usually pick on mattress stores that how often are you mm -hmm. replacing your mattresses? And therefore, uh, you know, programs like this could be difficult for, for those sorts of places unless they're selling you new pillows every year or, <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, sheets or bedding or, you know, something else um, mm -hmm. that... Uh, this isn't really going to go very far, um, but are are there certain things that that you see where you know people people tried it, they think that they that they gave it a go, but they they really weren't set up for success in the first place. Hundred percent. I think there's a few things at play there. Firstly, people would like to think that they can just click launch and the launch program will run itself, and unfortunately, that's not the case. It's a marketing activity; it needs marketing. A strategy it needs attention it needs to be managed it needs to be run so i think one of the biggest mistakes is that people think that they can just run it and it will operate by itself and unfortunately it just isn't it should be treated like any other activity it should be integrated it should have its own strategy um i think the other thing is expecting results overnight um it's an interesting thing with seo for example we've all been conditioned probably by SEO agencies, but we will be conditioned to know that you don't just go up in Google rankings 
overnight these days. You might have once, but now it's going to take a little bit more work and then you'll see the traffic coming through and we all expect that to take some time. Again, we plug in a loads program and expect it to work overnight, but actually you need time for people to come back and make those second and third and fourth purchases. You need time for people's lifetime value to build up. So it's not something that you're going to be able to say it, it tripled my revenue overnight. You need people to have time to come back and respend before you start seeing the results. Um, and I think it's an interesting one. I actually spoke on a webinar earlier this week about um, the ASOS loyalty program, because that's one that actually went live in 2015 and they axed it in 2018 um, because they said they didn't see enough really engaged customers. So we did, dug into that a bit further and actually all they would, had done was this points for prizes. It, it was literally just points and then pounds or dollars in return. And even in their tier strategy, the only difference was, I think you got slightly, um, a very slightly different dollar amount back in return for your points than tier one. There was hardly any difference. And they just they hadn't put enough thought into different ways of engaging their customers. They don't. There was no other way to earn points. It was just purchases. So there was no way of communicating between times. There were no kind of experiential rewards that we talked about. No early access to sales. No um, first access to new products. Queue jumps. All that sort of thing. And none of that going on. And then the tiers had no aspiration or exclusivity as a result. So I mean that's an example of one of the biggest. Well, certainly fast fashion brands um, who who did it and didn't invest enough in it and then reeled it back a few years later. So it it definitely happens, but it, it definitely doesn't need to happen. Interesting. <laughs> you know, you know the old saying: if you live long enough, you'll see everything. Uh, <laughs> I've seen programs come and go, and sometimes people just didn't give them long enough. So, mm -hmm. as you've described. It takes time to build up the uh, the point values with these shoppers to the point where there's enough there for them to really utilize and get excited about. And you know, sometimes people have these misunderstandings about how the oh that you know people see the points and that's automatically gonna you know jump up the the sales. That that's something that we have that our competitors don't. There's I think some truth to that in some cases, especially one of my favorite ways to use it was always. Um, brands that that had uh, manufacturer pricing that they needed to honor um, mm. they couldn't necessarily offer a discount but they could they could really throw the points right on there for those products yeah. and say look you know and i'm sure that some brands uh may not be quite as friendly to it but you know that printer we have to sell it at this price but we can give you lots of points back that you can use for other items or we can you know give you these these free gifts with it um, mm. you know, this swag with it, these other things. And at least it was different than what other websites had. Uh, so there's a lot of that, you know, often at the beginning of these episodes, I ask about the brand name. And as I was trying to decide whether to pronounce Clavio or Clavio, I realized that I hadn't asked you about that yet today. Now, loyalty's in the name <laughs> loyalty line. So that part's obvious, but does there happen to be a good story behind the brand and, and how that name came to be? You know, loyalty is not as obvious as, as you might think. I had to ask about this because although I must have been told the story several times in the last three years, it completely escaped me. So um, I was digging into this just before this call. So the story goes, it turns out that Charlie and Dave, our co-founders, were part of a startup bootcamp incubator um, in Berlin. And they were stuck 
A, on the product and B, on the name. So they hadn't quite decided what the platform was going to do and what it was going to look like, and they couldn't think what to call it. So they um, used a website where people could suggest names, and they then got sent a shortlist. Um, that's not the end of the story, don't worry. Um, and while they were waiting for a list of names to, to come from that, a friend of theirs suggested Loyalty Line. But at that stage, they didn't actually know that the product was going to be definitely loyalty focused. So they disregarded it, picked a name from this list because they couldn't waste any more time on naming that to get going, you know. So they ran with a different name. And then apparently a few months later, they just disliked it more and more as time went on. So one day, Dave, our CTO, um, essentially went online, bought loyaltyline.com and started replacing the name in the code base. And that was that loyalty line that came our name that's fantastic so crowdsourced a name and then threw it back in, in you know uh, all, took it off the hook and said nope this this is like it well yeah. that's the original yeah I, i've known very few people in in my lifetime that uh that have gone and legally changed their name because they didn't think it fit them well enough but they those people exist i've certainly seen brands do it i'm glad that they did it earlier on perhaps when it's it's a bit easier before you've invested quite as much yeah. into brand recognition but uh, yeah and and look i think um it they didn't know at that point that loyalty was going to be 100 uh, percent what, what they did and makes and, sense yeah and now we're in a position where loyalty is all we do it's we're not a um a one-stop shop for lots of different things we don't we integrate with a lot of other tools but we do that so that you can use your loyalty data and your loyalty insight to drive those tools better we don't try and do a lot of different things. We just try and do loyalty really, really well. So actually, it's turned out to be the perfect name for us. Absolutely. Well, you know, I've certainly only thought good things about the the brand through the years. And, you know, with that, you've been really generous with your time and uh, and you've put up with me very, very graciously. Uh, before we wrap it up, any final thoughts, anything that you think the audience should be aware of, any prognostications or uh, or, or things that we haven't touched on yet uh, before we call it a day? Well, good question. I think I'd just say don't be afraid of loyalty or don't be afraid to invest time in it. it you know, I've kind of gone the other way with this podcast. Yes, it, it takes time and it takes investment. You have to have a strategy, et cetera, but that's not something to be afraid of. It actually fits into your day-to-day -day marketing probably better than you can imagine. And you don't have to be a big business to do it well. You could have two customers but that means you've got two customers that could come back and spend again who have a higher lifetime value than the next two customers that you're going to acquire from fresh so and they're also sorry two customers that could refer you or leave you a review so however big you are you can start thinking about loyalty really early absolutely well it can be a lot more cost effective to take good care of the customers you've already gotten across your threshold than it is uh, to, to have to onboard new ones that cost uh, of acquisition can be high so mm. uh, i'm on board well fiona thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today and uh, to our listeners as always stay safe stay healthy and happy selling out there thanks for listening to the jet rails podcast you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts we also post full videos of most episodes on the jet rails youtube and facebook channels you can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. 
And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it. And more importantly, we appreciate you.